Today we're going to start with our story. So the name of the sermon series is called The Storyteller. And we all have our own story. But what I want us to see today is how our story, your story, fits into his story, which ultimately fits into the whole story. So the goal of our life, our story, should be proclaiming his story, which gets wrapped up in the whole story. We all love stories. I don't know. I love stories. It seems like everyone loves stories. I love to hear stories. I love to watch movies about different stories. When I was younger, some of my favorite hits were, does anyone know Make Way for the Ducklings? Anyone know that kid's book? It happened in the Boston Commons? That's a big hit. That's a smash hit among kids. I love that one. Curious George was a big hit for me. As I got a little older, I started reading every book I can on sharks. I read way too many books. I don't go swimming anymore. In a pool, I think there's a Mako shark in there with me. As I got a little older, I started reading um, horror books and stuff like that. It's a true. I read scary books, but then I got into watching movies. I still read, don't get me wrong. Be a reader. That's a good thing. But then I started getting into movies, really. If you're a guy and Braveheart's not in your top five, you need to get a check. Maybe some testosterone replacement therapy if Braveheart's not in your top five. And if you've been down and out and Rocky's not a big hit in your life, great story. They're coming out with a new Rocky. Did you know that? I just found out that yesterday. They made Rocky 18. I'll go and watch it. I'm not lying. I even liked Anna Green Gables. And I felt like I had to admit that because I was in a single mom home for a while. And she made me watch Anna Green Gables. So I have to admit, Anna Avonlea wasn't good for all you women. But Anna Green Gables. But I love stories. I loved hearing stories. And I remember seeing my first storyteller. He came to my school when I was in first grade. It was this African brother. And he was the most passionate storyteller. And he told every story. And it kept me, I was mesmerized with each story. He was animated, the way he told it, the way he explained the characters, the way he explained the main character. I still remember sitting there and saying, this is unbelievable. But we want to talk about the greatest storyteller there is. God. And this story started before we were even born. This world was created through Christ. He chose for each of us to be born into this story. And the hero of the story is Jesus. The earth was created through Jesus. The earth was saved through Jesus. And ultimately, heaven and earth will be restored because of Jesus. He's the main character in the story. And what I want us to see today is how our story should tell his story and ultimately fits in the whole story. And you're going to have to give me four months to talk about the whole story. I can't do that all in one day. But let's turn to 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, we don't judge people if they don't bring their Bible. The truth is I forget it sometimes when I'm not preaching. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And we're going to start here. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. So there's a big theological word called, word called regeneration. This is when God, by his grace, awakens our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus is and what he has done. Some people call it being born again. Or they call it being saved. This is the moment of salvation. When our hearts awaken to the truth and we say, hold on. This is true. There is a God. He sent his son 
Jesus, we repent in our sin, we put our faith in Jesus, and God starts writing a new chapter in our life. And what I hope today is, some of you, God has already started writing that new chapter for your life, where the old things have passed away, and he's giving you new affections and a new heart. Some of you, this will be your first day where God will start a new chapter in your life. Because what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in, one chapter of living in habitual sin, of having the wrong affections, of being an unrepented sinner, stops. And a new chapter starts where you just get caught off guard and you start having these new affections in your heart that you don't expect. You start saying, why am I... Why do I want to worship God? Why do I want to know more about God? Why do I want to tell everyone else about Jesus? Why am I passionate about these things? I never thought this would happen. That happened to me when I was 19 years old. And I'm telling you guys, I had been around the church since I was six. I had left from the time I was 16 to 19. And I had this idea or this framework of thinking of God. So if you ask me, I'd probably say, yeah, I, I believe in God. But my life didn't line up with what I believed. And then I tried every worldly pleasure I could for about three years. I just went at it. And I realized on Halloween night, I had this very persistent youth pastor. The dude bothered me, to be honest with you. He would not stop bugging me. And I'm just like, you know, he was a nice guy. One of those guys a little too awkward. They look you, he was a a bug out, but one of those good bug out guys. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a great explanation. And he kept tracking me down to come to youth group. So finally on Halloween night, I could feel the Lord starting to draw me. Like things were starting to change. I started feeling bad about sins that I usually didn't feel bad about. I started saying, man, I, I don't like the trajectory and the direction of my life. I, I'm going in the wrong way. I end up at this youth group in Woburn. And they started playing the worship songs and stuff. And I always used to... I'd rather get shot in the head than lift my hands during service, if I'm honest with you. You could have just, just put a bullet in my head rather than lift my hand. All these weird affections started in my head. I lift, now you don't have to lift your hands to be saved. We don't say that around here. That's not what we're going for. You can do it if you feel like it, but it was a big thing for me at the moment. I lift my hands because the main thing in my life, I cared so much what other people thought that it paralyzed me in my life. So for me to lift my hands, it was a big moment. And all of a sudden, it was a charismatic church, so you know there's not a service going by where there's not an altar call. You know? They had this altar call. I got up on my knees, and the Holy Spirit changed me. Now, the youth pastor came over and started saying, fire and fire and stuff. It wasn't doing anything, because the Lord had already saved my heart. But I couldn't believe what happened to me, because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go back to church, because I want to get things I want. I want to have a family. I want to have a home. I want to be around good people. And those are all good things and part of being part of a church. But I had no idea that God was dramatically going to make my old heart new and have all these new affections. I'm talking about, I was just not ready for the presence of God to hit my life like that. It caught me so off guard. I would wake up every day, and this was just my story. I would pray for three hours on my knees by myself. I have the attention span of a fly. To get me to pray for three hours straight, It has to be God. I don't pray for three hours straight anymore. I'm sorry, maybe one day again. I still pray. But during that time, it was really this honeymoon phase of God changing my heart. And I couldn't believe what was going on. All my friends started making fun of me because I was telling them about Jesus. They said, he's been touched by an angel. They'd all make fun of me. 
Because every night, for the summer of 97, the senior year of my high school, our mission was to go to a keg party every night. And I did it. I did it. I'm not proud of it. But we made that happen. So when I stopped drinking, smoking mass quantities of weed, we're transparent here, so I have to tell you, partying, sinning, not being around them and saying, guys, I can't do this anymore, they were like, what the heck? Has happened to me. And I wasn't ready for that. Because my affections changed. I started getting convicted about stuff. I started stopped living immoral because God gave me a new heart. And old things passed away. Old principles, old thoughts, and old affections. Jesus, his story, who he is, and what he has done, he became the object of my greatest affection. And it changed my life. And that's what Jesus does. He takes old sinners like ourselves. We're all still sinners. And he makes them new creations in him. And it's all the work of God. And once again, I pray that for some of you today, this is a new chapter of your life. And God's really moving on your heart now. But let's turn to um, verse 18 and 19. The author of this Holy Spirit-inspired book is Paul, and he says, All this is from God, who is through Christ, reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Actually, before we jump to that first, I want to say one more thing. Because as I share my testimony, and you guys have your own testimonies, what I think is important is that we focus on how we have sinned against God, not how other people have sinned against us. Because many times I hear people give their testimony, and the whole testimony is how, about how other people wrong them. And I know sometimes we're victims. I know sometimes we're hurt. I don't want to belittle that. But salvation happens when we recognize that we were the, one who, we were the ones who were God-haters. We were the ones who were sin. The greatest victim was Jesus. And he cried out, Father God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I just want to give you three areas before I jump to the next verse, because I just remember this, of why I was a sinner. So I don't want to just say, I was lost, the whole world was hurting me, I had nowhere to go. Yeah, that was part of it, but I was a nasty sinner. And sin is part of the story. A lot of churches and preachers want to take sin out of the story because it doesn't fill the seats. I'm hoping that if I tell you a sinner, it will fill the seats, because God's grace is so good. I was a thief from the time I was born, I'm convinced. I remember going, four years old, going over to my friend's house and stealing Oscar the Grouch from his Sesame Street collection. And I loved it. It got in my pocket. I thought I was nice. I was like, I went over the house. I was playing with Oscar. And I didn't feel bad about it. I was a thief. I'd go into convenience stores, corner stores. You remember the garbage pail kids? I would steal those cards. I would steal candy bars. I what? They used to have those cream pies that were a big hit in my in the eighties in my heyday. I get the chocolate filled ones and I just walk out. And it just kept going. I go to my teenage years and I needed clothes. I wear a pair of shorts there. I come out with four pairs of shorts out from Macy's and just walk out of the place. Till finally I got caught by a woman who I went to high school. I mean Sunday school with. She said, "Will you come with me, please?" Like the security came out and I had like three pairs of shorts on. I was like 18. This is a true story. And I was like, oh, shoot. And my buddy Ryan had hit in the bag, and they took me in the bag. And she looks at me, and she goes, Joey Thompson? She liked me back in the day. you got to hear me. So I thought she was going to let me go. I said she liked me back in the day. She caught me. We went to Sunday school together. That's going to mean something, right? She fined me $350. 
I was such a thief. And I'm making light of it. But being a robber, being a thief, that's no joke. That was a great sin before God. And there's no kids in there, so we can talk like adults. In my teenage years, I was sexually immoral, like you wouldn't believe. I was a womanizer. No shame about it. No guilt about it. Didn't care who I was hurting. It was all about me. A lust bucket. That's who I was. This is my testimony. I want you to hear about my sin, not about what people did to me. Finally, I was so caught up in idolatry. You know you don't have to bite on and worship a, a statue to be caught, caught up in idolatry. And we got a whole week on this. We're really going to hit it, so I'm not going to get in deep on this. But I'll tell you one thing. I was the highest object of my affection. My image was the highest object of my affection. I had so many idols, I can't even name them all here. But know what a gracious God did? He came down. Not because of anything I did, because I was still sinning when he saved me. He said, I'm going to make him new. I'm writing a new story. Sometimes I get bugged out up here when I'm preaching. Because I'm like, what the heck happened to me? I just went to a Halloween youth service. That was God moving my heart, catching me off guard, changing my heart, making old things new. And he's done that. You guys have your own story. And he's done that with many of you. And we serve a good God, don't we? Verse 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's important to understand salvation well and to understand that our salvation is all from God. Yes, we repent and we believe, but it's, it is him who chooses to save us. He's a sovereign God, and we've been saved not of our own works, but because of his free grace, because he's a compassionate Loving, merciful God. And it's helpful to understand the context this is in. The Apostle Paul is writing these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know who Apostle Paul was? He was a, many theologians believe he was a killer of Christians. He'd go into households because he hated the work of Christ so bad, rip out the whole family and throw them in jail. Passionately opposed the work of Jesus. It was his he had no wife. He got up every day. His mission was to stop Christians. His mission was to destroy the mission of Jesus and to defame the name of Jesus. But guess what a loving father God did? He chose to make him new. He caught Paul off guard. And all of a sudden, Paul's story was to make much of his story, which got wrapped up in the whole story. You know, many times we want to be the main character of the whole story. We are just, I'm talking to myself, we are just so selfish. I've been scaring myself for years, and I'm sure you guys are scared too. We are selfish. What we try to do is make ourselves, even in our churches, even in our messages, even in our life, we want to be the main character. Paul understood that Jesus is the main character. So I went and saw Man of Steel this year. I wasn't that oppressed, I'm not going to lie. I like Batman's a lot better. But what happened in one of the scenes, Superman was super kid, and he saved this bus from drowning. And he lifted him out of there. And he lifted the bus out. What you didn't say at that time was, Wow, look how those kids got saved. They were awesome. Do you see how that kid was drowning? Drowning? No, you said, Wow, Superman's awesome. You never said when that dude's falling from the building and Superman swoops and gets him out of the sky, Wow, you see how that guy was falling? 
He was awesome. Let's make him the main character. The guy who was rescued. No, you come out and say, man, Superman is a bad man. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you look at redemptive history, how can you say that we're the heroes? How can you say that we're the main characters? We're waging war. We're killing each other. We're worshiping other gods. We're doing heinous things throughout history. How can we be the main character? We're the ones who are falling from the building. We're the ones who are drowning. Jesus is the hero. We're the sinners who get saved by grace. That's the part we get to play in the story. We say, he saved us. He changed us. We're not the main characters. He is the main character. Then you get into, why is he the main character and not you? Because we got ourselves in this mess. God is holy, and this is what we need to know. We all know God is love. We know he's patient. We know he's compassionate. We beat that thing to death. And that's so true. But we forget that God is holy. And he's so, so ferociously opposed to sin that he has to judge it. If God, being holy and loving, didn't judge sin, he would not be a perfect God. But instead of pouring his wrath out on us, he poured his wrath out on Jesus. Because none of us could live sinless lives. I would argue that none of us can live a sinless day. But Jesus did something we couldn't do. He was born in the human history, both being God and man, lived a perfect life, being tempted just like us, lived a perfect life, was perfectly loving, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, got pinned to a cross, took the wrath that was ours to bear, rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, gave us the Holy Spirit, made us his children, is come back one day, he's sovereign king, sovereign God, that's why he's the hero, because he did something that we could not do. He lived a sinless life, and he didn't have to do that. Do you guys know that? That's another thing in our culture. We feel entitled. We think we deserve so much. We don't deserve anything, and God has given us everything. Do you know it would have been perfectly just if God just wiped us all out? Because that's what we deserved. He would have been perfectly holy, perfectly just, because the rules are, if you sin, the wages of sin are death. But instead, he throws his son in our place. Instead, Jesus throws himself in our place. And then he does something unbelievable. He gives us the message of reconciliation. This blows my mind. Let's read um, verses 19 and 20. That in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting there are trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this was heavy when I was studying this this week, that we appeal to other people, those of us who know Jesus, who have been awakened to the truth, have repented our sin, who are following Jesus, we are called to appeal to other people on behalf of God. That was heavy when I read that. Because a lot of people, there's a movement because we're all starting to be very cowardly in our faith. So there's a movement to say, I'm just going to let people see how I act. And if they see how I act, then they're going to find Jesus. The gospel needs words. 
The Bible always says proclaim the gospel with your words. You have to use your words to proclaim the gospel. And we'll get into what proclaiming is. Now, I want you to be a light in this world with your actions, with the way you are, with the way you treat people. But the gospel needs words. We proclaim about many things in our life, and we have to proclaim about Jesus being the hero. And we're going to get to that, what that means a little bit more. But the beautiful thing is that even when you're appealing to people, Let's be honest with you, and Jesus said it right out of the get-go. People are going to reject you. They're going to make fun of you. I've got made fun of so much in the past 15 years. That's okay. Because Jesus took so much from me. But there's going to be some who see who God is when you preach the gospel to them. There's going to be some that go, I see it. And their lives are going to be changed, and the Holy Spirit is going to start writing a new chapter in their life. I remember I went to a juvenile detention home right after I got saved when I was 19. And I sat down, and there was 49 young men who were teenagers there. And they said, just get up there and preach your testimony. I said, all right, let's do this. I just started throwing down on my whole life, my whole testimony. At the end, I gave an altar call and said, whoever wants to. So I just proclaimed the gospel. I said, whoever wants to put their faith in Jesus, stand up. Do you know 47 people stood out of 49? That's how powerful the gospel is. But I was a young man, and I said, wow. Now, I can give you about 2,000 people who sat down and said, you're an idiot. But there were 47 people out of 49, and I said, we're not only called to appeal on God's behalf and to share the gospel, but some will put their faith in Jesus, and God will begin writing a new story for them. That bugged me out. I was like, God is awesome. And I said, oh, shoot, I'm called to do this. <laughs> but it was just a crazy day. But God will be encouraged. As you share the gospel, people will see Jesus and begin to write a new story in their life. And what message do we proclaim? The final verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's a very simple explanation of the gospel. You don't have to be a super theologian or know every nook and cranny of the Bible to share who Jesus is. Because it's the Holy Spirit who saves souls. What's a simple gospel? God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, be sin on our behalf so that we could be the righteousness of God. That is called the great exchange. Hey, Lisa, no worries. We saved you t-shirts too. True story. Um, it's called the great exchange. That means that our filthy sin is put on Jesus on the cross. And his perfect righteousness is put on us. That's how we can be right with God. That's the simple news of the gospel. So the application portion of this sermon. You guys have something powerful. All you who believe, you have your testimony. That you were a filthy sinner. You still are a filthy sinner just like me. But you get the proclaim of the one who gave you a new heart change your affections, and now you could proclaim his story. The Bible tells us that is powerful. Well, one of the greatest things happened to me yesterday because I started preaching Jesus when I was 19 to all my friends, and I got a lot of resistance. And one of the guys I got resistance from, just after 15 years of sharing Jesus with him, posted on Facebook yesterday, said, Joey, I just want you to know that last January I got on my knees 
I follow Jesus now. I worship the Almighty. And I'm not the same as I was. That took 15 years. You've got to be willing to get in the trenches and preach Jesus. It took 15 years. I'm telling you, man, they were laughing at me. They were making fun of me. I was acting goofy in a lot of ways. I'm not going to lie. But I was like, I just wrote on Facebook. I said, that's one of the best things I have ever heard in my life. Because that's what Jesus does. You might not see the fruit right away, but God changes hearts little by little. You sow a seed. You love somebody. You share the gospel. They see that you're truly changed. You don't have to be perfect. We're all sinners. You don't have to be perfect. Don't be like, I can't share Jesus till I'm perfect. I share the gospel. You're never going to share the gospel. You're going to be in your casket, man, because we're sinning every day. Right? Share Jesus. Use your testimony. And lives will be changed. An amazing thing is that we have a bunch of different stories here, right? Some of us believe, some of us don't believe, some of us have been dramatically changed by Jesus. But what happens in a church is all these stories collide into one story. And all of a sudden we're on mission together to share his story, the story of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. So I was really going to get up here and preach a big vision message. I was going to have everyone excited. I was going to tell you how many churches we're going to plant. I get how big we're going to get. I was going to how many cities we're going to be changed. I was ready to just start firing all cylinders. But I said to myself, I'm not writing this story. I'm just not even a main character. Jesus is going to write our story. But I want to give you three things that we want to focus on. And Jesus will plant churches. Jesus will restore family, families. Jesus will save souls. I think Jesus is going to be, do far more than we ever expected through Restoration Road. Now, I'm being honest. I'm not a hype man. So I just can share with you what I believe. And I honestly believe that God's going to do magnificent things through Restoration Road. We all been one year. And we're just part of the plan. We're not the church that has it all together. We're just one of the churches that can proclaim the name of Jesus and see people set free and find life and joy in God. So there's three things we want to live by at Restoration Road. I just want to keep it simple. The first one is we want to be gospel-driven. So you'll notice every week, if you come almost every week, I preach Jesus every week. I could preach from the Old Testament. I could be preaching from a magazine. I could preach from, I'll find a way to get to Jesus on you. We're going to preach and lift Jesus up every day. We're going to talk about how much we're sinners and how much Jesus is perfect all the time. We're going to talk about how he saved us, how we didn't deserve it, but he still loved us as a loving God and a loving Father. The gospel is going to drive every message. It's going to drive our worship. If you notice, our worship songs aren't all about us. There's some churches, you go to worship songs, it's just like, I fulfill my dreams, I got everything I want, and I and I'm like, did we just worship Jesus? Or does everyone just pump themselves up in here? So the gospel is going to drive our worship. It's going to drive the way we love our families. Because no longer does my wife have to hate me if I do something wrong or I have to hate her. Because I've been forgiven of so much. I can forgive my wife. She can forgive me. I can be patient with my children. I can be patient with my friends. The gospel drives us. So we love our families and we love others. To be honest, I wouldn't really love a lot of people if it wasn't for the gospel. Because I could be happy with four friends and my family. I'm telling you the truth. 
But Jesus changed something in my heart and he commanded me to love not only the people I like, but my enemies. The gospel drives us to do that. And that's what we'll do as a church. The gospel drives us to serve. We'll serve anyone. You don't have to believe like us. You don't have to think like us. If you're in need, Restoration Road is here to help. And that's going to drive everything we do. Secondly, we want to be proclaimers. So I didn't put the, the, the word out there, and it's a good word, it's helpful. Everyone says we want to be missional. We want to do this and that. I like living, being a proclaimer or living proclamationally so much better because I think there's that temptation in all of us to live as cowards when we're Christians. We don't want to share our faith. We don't, we're undercover Christians. We don't want people to know. Last thing I want to do is get embarrassed. We need to proclaim who Jesus is. And let me just tell you, you proclaim naturally every day of your life. You proclaim about those things that make you happy and that are the greatest objects of your affection. For example, we love our sports in Boston. I don't have to tell one of you to get excited about the Patriots game today. I mean, people are posting up, they're proclaiming. You don't care if anyone says something. You don't care if they're a Jets fan. You don't care. You're just like, the Patriots are on. This is holy right here. Enjoy football. We're not saying don't enjoy sports. I love it. I'm a big Celtics fan. I'll hit the pats in the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. But the Celtics, I love. I'll get into the Red Sox in the playoffs. I love sports. I'm a bigger UFC fan, if I'm honest with you. That's the stuff I get excited about. But you proclaim about your favorite sports team like it's nothing. When the Bruins won the cup, there were a lot of proclaimers in the street. Rejoiced and lifting up their hands. Everyone had their idol on their front lawn, the Stanley Cup. Don't get me wrong. I was sharing too. Even I watched those games. But I'm saying you didn't have to ask anyone. Everyone I talked to, the Bruins are awesome. You see the way they came back. There's nothing like them. Me and my family. Just proclaiming. Not caring what anyone thought. Please. We need to proclaim Boston sports teams. You need to, you know, keep doing that. But I'm saying proclaiming comes naturally. Does anyone have to tell you how much to proclaim, how much you love your kids? Don't tell me one more time to tell me how much you love me. You say, okay, I won't do it. I'm sorry. No. You'd be like, those are my kids. I love my kids. You're excommunicated. And you'll keep proclaiming. Even on our TV shows, and I'm guilty of this, I've been pumping Breaking Bad like you wouldn't believe. Every person I see, man, you have to watch Breaking Bad. It's the most critically acclaimed show ever. You've got to get past the first but once you get in there, you're going to enjoy yourself. And I'm like, man, I'm popping that break in that awesome. Sons of Anarchy, forget about it. Wait till that hits next Tuesday night. Everyone's going to be proclaiming, have their T's on. It's going to get rowdy. When Jesus is the object of your greatest affection, you're just going to naturally start sharing with people. I'm telling you, I went in to drop a T-shirt out for my insurance agent. I've been inviting him to church since 1988. And I dropped a T-shirt off there to give to him and another glass salesman walked in and these opportunities just come it wasn't premeditated he walks up to me and I don't dress too religious to be honest with you I just don't feel it I shave Sunday by Friday night I shave again and so I'm not trying to say trim I'm wearing sandals I could have had my Teenage Mutant Ninja t-shirt on I don't know what happened this dude walks up to me he has no idea I'm a pastor no idea and he goes hey my name is Paul it's all about coke and hookers there's no kids in here and I was just laughing because I'm thinking, I love when this happens, when someone just comes up and says, it's all about coke and hookers and I'm a pastor. Because it gives me a great opportunity to start talking to people. I said, man, I'm a pastor, man. That's inappropriate. But I said it joking. He said, you've got to be kidding me. 
He said, I underestimated you with the sandals. You don't look like this. I said, Jesus, like God, he's the worst. They all said, oh, shoot. You can find ways to proclaim that gospel in every arena of your life. I want Restoration World to be a place where we proclaim the gospel to our to our co-workers, the people we're meeting, not in an obnoxious way, but just in a natural way, it's overflowing because it's what we're all about. And finally, we want to be disciple makers. So we don't want to just get saved or get new hearts or have changed lives and new stories and not grow in our faith. It needs to be, when God gets your heart, that faith needs to be nurtured so we mature as men and women of God. And you can never mature by yourself. God never called you to work through all of your struggles, your sins alone. That lies out there, especially in Boston when we're so independent. and was like, I'll work this out on my own. You never work it out. In Proverbs, it tells us a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. You can't work through it. I'm talking from experience. There's things that I couldn't work through, even as a pastor, until I had men around me that I was sharing life with, that I was being accountable with. Not just telling them stuff so I look good, but confessing my sin to them. Not because they forgave me, because I needed someone to keep me accountable. I needed to be changed. I had men in my life who helped me be a better disciple of Jesus. And what we do at um, Restoration Road is we have home groups. They're now only meeting twice a month. Um, it's on Thursday night twice a month, so it's very manageable. We meet at like 7 or 9. The, the guys meet outside and we throw that fire pit down. The girls stay inside with the cookies and all the good stuff. And we just have a time of we go through the message, we ask a few questions, just work on the scriptures, and then we, uh, we pray for people in the church. We probably tend, we're not super long prayers in this church, if I'm just honest with you. The only thing Jesus wants us about, not about saying short prayers, about saying long prayers. So we like to take that to heart. So we pray about 10 to 15 minutes. And then we go out and do what we call soul care. We really share our, joy, our struggles, keep each other accountable, love each other, pray for one another, and it's a great time. If you're someone who wants to be in a home group, let one of the pastors know. You can jump right in one. We'll be more than happy to help you. It's going to be the best, one of the best things that happens in your life when you're around people who are a good influence, people who are following after Jesus like you are, and people who aren't judging you based on who you are, but based on who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Now, I'm telling you guys, that was transformational for me. And I only just started four years ago. I got with a group of men when I was pastoring over at Seven Mile Road. And um, I can't tell you how much God changed my heart in so many areas when I have brothers and sisters who love me and who were living life with me. So those are three things that are going to drive this church. We're going to be gospel-driven, we're going to be proclaimers, and we're going to be disciple-makers. That's the mission of the church, to worship Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, and make disciples. There's so many other things we do. We love doing mercy. We love serving people. We love taking care of the needy. We love all that. But all those things naturally happen when we're doing those three things. Guys, in closing, thank you so much for um, this past year just serving Restoration Road. It's been awesome. We're going to celebrate today. Some of you who will become part of this church in the future, thank you for coming today. I hope you really, um, I hope to see you more, if I'm honest, because I think Jesus is going to start writing a lot, new stories, changing hearts, restoring lives through Restoration Road.